This is the Morning Rush. Coming up on today's show, uh, some drama last night between the Nats and Phillies over this whole uh, sticky substance situation. The Clips and Suns play game two of the Western Conference Finals, and oh, what a game it was. And we'll look at the game one of the East of Finals tonight between the Bucks and Hawks. We'll have more on yesterday's discussion about college athletes uh, getting paid. And a column that I read by somebody with personal experience of putting two uh, student athletes through school. Had some pucks last night. Game five, a pivotal game five. Montreal and Vegas in Vegas. And the NBA draft lottery order was revealed. And we'll tell you who has the top overall pick and who could very well go with that top overall pick. All that and more coming up in the next two hours of the show. Good morning to you. How the heck are you? So glad to have you on board. So glad you could take some time to tune in and hang out as we kick off this Wednesday hump day morning. Come on. Several ways to get involved on the show, as always. Hit me up on Twitter, at WCMD Morning Rush. Or uh, my page, at Rush Tony C. That's the letter C, not the word C. Facebook page, at WCMD Cumberland Radio. All those pages free and open to the public. Like them, follow them, anytime you feel moved to do so. Uh, drop me a line. You got a question, comment, opinion? Feel free to share, and we'll talk about it on the air. Hey, that rhymed right on time. Rush line is open, 301-759-2628. Your chance to dial and dance. Shamo. 301-759-2628. And, of course, our podcast page on the free Podbean app. We upload every show every day, minus commercials. In case you missed anything, you can go back and check it out. Just download that free Podbean app. I don't get paid for it. I don't get paid to talk about it. It's just what I use for the podcast page. So I, uh, I earn nothing from it. Just a place for you to go and check out our podcast page. So download that free Podbean app to your phone. Or your tablet. Or both. All right, uh, let's kick off today's show. We kick off every show with a rock around the region. I want to rock! And we start with Major League Baseball, where the Pirates put together a late rally against the White Sox. And a swing and a soft. Grounder through into left base hit. Here comes Evans to score. Newman to the plate. He'll score. Throw goes back to second. Gonzalez safe there. Two are in off the bat of Eric Gonzalez, and the Pirates lead it 5-3. to three. The call on the Pirates radio network, four runs in the seventh inning for the Pirates in their 6-3 win over the White Sox at PNC Park. Adam Frazier hit a solo homer, and Brian Reynolds had an RBI single for the Bucks who have won three of four after a 10-game losing streak. Chicago's losing streak is now up to five games. 
elsewhere, Zach Granke allowed just one run and five hits over seven and a third innings as the Astros won their ninth straight game, 3-1 to one over the Orioles at Camden Yards. Jorge Lopez pitched well for the O's in a losing effort, uh, giving up just two runs and five hits over six and a third. Ryan Mountcastle had two hits for Baltimore, which has now lost 12 of 13 and has the worst record in the American League. And in Philadelphia, Jan Gomes had a pair of RBI singles to lead the Nationals over the Phillies 3-2. Max Scherzer, very sharp in his return from the injured list. He gave up one run on two hits and struck out eight in five innings of work. That was not the big story of this game. He was checked by umpires three times for foreign substances. The third time at the request of Philly manager Joe Girardi, which did not make Scherzer or uh, manager Davey Martinez uh, very happy. Scherzer uh, sort of stared down and yelled at Girardi in the Philly dugout as he left the field. Girardi didn't like that. There was some shouting. Uh, Girardi came out of the dugout. He was ejected from the game. Much more on uh, this drama in just a little bit. In high school softball, the West Virginia State Tournament got underway yesterday in Charleston and AAA Washington lost its opener to Cabell Midland 1-0, but avoided elimination with a 6-4 win over John Marshall. The Patriots will take on St. Albans in an elimination game today with the winner then having to beat Cabell Midland twice to win the state title. In uh, Class A, Morgan Christian hit a three-run homer in the top of the seventh, and Wahama beat Petersburg 6-5 in the Vikings opener. Uh, Petersburg left the bases loaded in the bottom of the seventh. The Vikings stayed alive, though, with an 11-5 win over Midland Trail. Jenna Burgess homered and had an RBI double for the Vikings, who will face Ritchie County. In another elimination game this morning at 9.30, winner moves on to face unbeaten Wahama in the title round. In other softball news, Kaiser's Alexis Shoemaker was named Potomac Valley Conference Player of the Year yesterday, and Kaiser's Chris Shoemaker was named PVC Coach of the Year. The Golden Tornado were uh, this year's PVC champions. On the baseball side of Frankfurt's Brady Whitaker, was named Conference Player of the Year, and Hampshire's Chad Van Meter, PVC Coach of the Year after leading the Trojans to the PVC title. And that is uh, your Rock Around the Region brought to you by the Caporale Group. All right, so uh, getting back to that Nationals-Phillies game. Again, some drama. The first real drama Surrounding uh, Major League Baseball's crackdown on pitchers using sticky substances to get a better grip on the ball. And as I said earlier, Scherzer was checked twice by umpires in the first and third innings. That should be no surprise to anybody because pitchers have been told by Major League Baseball that they couldn't expect to be inspected twice a game. It was that third inspection that got the Nationals riled up because it was Joe Girardi who asked for it. 
And it all kind of happened as Scherzer was pitching to Alec Bohm. Is it Bohm or Baum? It doesn't matter. A fastball got away from Scherzer, 95 miles per. And it was headed right for Bohm's head. And Scherzer said the ball slipped out of his hand. Again, that's one of the main complaints from Major League pitchers since this crackdown on the sticky substances. Because Major League Baseball is constantly messing with the balls each and every year. That the surface changes. They simply can't grip the ball. Which is why they used the sticky substances. So the fastball gets away from Scherzer. And then two pitches later, Scherzer strikes out Bohm with another fastball. He then takes off his hat and runs his hand through his hair, which, as you can imagine, although it wasn't terribly warm last night, uh, he was he was sweaty. Girardi then got a little bit, you know, animated and was pointing towards Scherzer and kind of just got the umpire's attention enough to where home plate umpire Tim Timmons was like, all right, we're going to check Scherzer again. And Scherzer, he's on the mound, and he's kind of laughing at the whole thing. As, as it's going on, as Girardi is you know pleading his case, Scherzer's just laughing at him. Like, this is, like, this is ridiculous. Like, we're right in the middle of an inning here, and you're calling for an inspection. And so Scherzer was upset. And rightfully so, I think. So as the umpires go out to the mound, he kind of tosses his hat and glove down to the grass. And he undid his belt like he was going to drop trial right there on the mound. Like he just kind of threw his hands up like, you know what, go check whatever. At that point, he's frustrated. And as he's, he's being checked, Scherzer is yelling and looking in the Phillies dugout. Girardi is yelling back at him. Nats manager Davey Martinez, he gets involved. Other Nationals coaches get involved. This is a big shouting match. As <laughs> Scherzer's getting checked for a third time in the game. Again, the first two expected. The third one, not so much. So, the question was, after the game, why did Girardi ask for the third inspection? I've seen Max a long time, since 2010. Um... Obviously, he's going to be a Hall of Famer. Um, but I've never seen him wipe his head like he was doing tonight, ever, um, going like this, right? So it was suspicious for me. He did it about four or five times. Um, it was suspicious. I didn't mean to offend anyone. I just got to do what's right for our club. So he was suspicious. Never saw Scherzer do that before. So he asked for the inspection. Scherzer said after the game that he kept going to his hair because it was sweaty and he was tired of licking his fingers all night trying to get a grip on the ball because he was tired of tasting the rosin that was on his fingers. And without the use of the sticky substances, pitchers are having trouble gripping the baseball. So that's why, and here's Scherzer right now, 
on why it kept on going to his hair. The only part that was really sweaty enough on me to be able to grab any type of moisture was on my hair. Um, it wasn't a warm night's night, so the back of my neck really wasn't that sweaty uh, when I tried to get there. Um, and so for me, the only part, the only body part that actually had enough sweat on it was my hair. So, um, you know, that's fortunate tonight. But, I mean, th- this is going to be dangerous when, you know, you're in a cold game and you have no sweat. Uh, what will we do then? So now here's Scherzer saying that, well, Major League Baseball and Rob Manfred, you're not allowing us to use the sticky substances, so now we got to find other ways to get a grip on the ball. And he was just tired of licking his fingers and tasting dirt and rosin, so he that's why he kept on going to his hair. Girardi thought that was suspicious because he had never done that before. Well... He had never done that before because he's been using sticky substances this whole time. Now he can't. So this is is what's going to happen. You're going to have pitchers trying to find ways within the rule now to get a better grip on the baseball. And you heard Max say, you know, try to go to the back of his head. Wasn't really, you know, wasn't, wasn't a particularly warm night, so he couldn't get any sweat there. So then he went to his hair. <laughs> it's, it all sounds pretty pretty damn ridiculous, if you ask me. But this is what Major League Baseball wanted. This is what Major League Baseball gets. Martinez was fired up about the third inspection because he thought to that point the umpires had already done their job. I thought the umpires did a good job with it. I really did. I mean, uh, you know, it's, it's part of the game now. And uh, they did that due diligence. So uh, as far as uh, Joe's concerned, I think he's got to answer the tough questions about that. You know, I don't need to answer that. And, and Joe and Joe answered the question. He just said that Max was going to his hair a lot, something he had never done before. And Martinez, as you would expect a manager to do, he backed up uh, his ace pitcher. There was no sticky stuff. Let's just say that, you know. Um, the umpires checked. It, you know, every, everything was good, so – uh, like I said, Joe. I think Joe's got to answer the tough questions tonight. And again, the Nationals won the game. And oh, by the way, you know, that's a pretty important game <laughs> for the Nationals to win. They're playing really good baseball right now, in case you haven't noticed. They took three or four from the Mets over the weekend. They take the first of the two-game series against the Phillies. So now we have a three-way tie for second place in the NL East. The Braves, Phils, and the Nats, all four games behind the first-place Mets. So let's not, you know, let that get lost in the shuffle. The Nationals have won, what, nine of the last 11? Something like it was a five, I can't remember what the exact number was. Three in a row, that's right, three in a row. Three in a row, nine of the last 11. But that gets overshadowed uh, by this mess. And I guess, I don't know. Do you want to blame Girardi? He said he's doing it for what's best for his team, that it was suspicious. I don't know. I mean, after the guy is inspected twice, would a pitcher really have the intestinal fortitude to then start cheating? You know what I mean? Like, and even Scherzer said it himself after the game. And this is a quote. He said, I'd have to be an absolute fool to actually be 
using something tonight when everybody's antenna are so far high. It is what it is. He said, whatever, turn the page and move on. And he has a point. Like, the inspections just started Monday. That's when the umpires began this Major League Baseball initiative, the crackdown on the sticky. Substances, that is. (laughs) If you get that reference, give yourself nine and a half points. Or 420 points. So Scherzer's like, I'd be an idiot. This soon after the crackdown started Monday to use a foreign substance. And he has a point there as well. So ultimately it's much ado about nothing. It's just one of those things with baseball, you know, which a little drama never hurts because baseball can tend to be a little boring anyway. But the last thing we want to see now is these mid-inning, mid-game inspections. That's going to slow the game down even further because baseball is slow enough. You're already going to have pitchers inspected twice a game. Now if you're going to have managers asking for third, maybe even fourth inspection, it's going to take forever. And it's going to get people upset. And then you're going to start seeing retribution, right? Are you not? There's going to be a manager who's going to ask one too many times for an inspection. The pitcher is going to take exception to it, and then someone's going to get hit. That's what happens with baseball, right? Things build up, they build up, they build up, and then somebody gets hit with a pitch. I say boo on Girardi for calling for that third inspection. I, I think he's been around the game long enough to know why Scherzer was going to his hair so much. Like you would think he'd know that. You would think it because he deals with his own pitchers. He knows his own pitchers, unless they're still cheating. They got to find ways to get moisture on their fingers to grip the ball better. He should know that. He should have been able to sit there and go, you know what? You know, Max is going to his hair a lot, but he's probably trying to get a better grip because he can't do it any other way. He should have known that. So I think him calling for that third inspection, I don't know, you want to call it gamesmanship? You want to try to throw Scherzer off his game? I don't know. But I think pitchers are already at a high level of frustration with this this change. So it, it might, you know, it might have been best just to leave, leave it go. Who knows what happens tonight? Who knows? Maybe it happens again. But so we have a little drama here with heading into game two of the uh, two game series. And part of the frustration that we talked about, and this is here's ESPN's Tim Kirkshin, is that the pitchers, two and a half months into the season, they now have to change the way they've been pitching. Now you're asking guys to pitch a, a different way than they have not only this year, but maybe for the last few years. And he's worried that ligaments and muscles are now going to be overextended because pitchers might not be getting the help that they've been getting from all sorts of sticky substances. So, yeah, pitchers worried about two things, finding a way to grip the baseball better and then hoping you don't get hurt because now you have to change the way that you've been pitching. And look, a lot of these pitchers, although most won't come out and you know admit to it, They've been using sticky substances not just for the last two and a half months, but for years. And when you get used to doing something a certain way, 
it kind of becomes it's habit. It's, it's repetition that you develop. You develop your style, your way of pitching with the use of the sticky substances. Now they don't have them, so now they got to change on the fly. So now we're going to start seeing more fastballs getting away. We're going to start seeing pitchers doing things they hadn't been doing before because now they got to find a better way to get a grip on a baseball. Hall of Famer John Schmoltz, who knows a thing or two about pitching, says that this, like most other changes in sports, the pitchers are just going to have to get used to it. I think the imbalance got to a point where baseball had to say, okay, this is too much. We've got to, we, we've got to dial it back. We've got to make this change. And pitchers are going to learn how to pitch without it, just like they did before. And you get away from the habitual act of just being comfortable um, and, and knowing how a ball comes out of your hand. The reason I say in two weeks to three weeks it won't be an issue because pitchers will get to that point where they're not gonna, they, it's not like they, it's the only thing that made them pitch. It's just you know how to pitch when the ball comes out of your hand and a certain feeling you got to get used to it differently. So Schmoltz is saying, hey, you got used to pitching with the sticky substance. Now it's going to take two or three weeks to get used to not pitching with the sticky substance. And in the meantime, we're just going to see some weird things going on. Maybe not as weird as what we saw last night, but you never know. Game two of that series, oh, by the way, this afternoon, 12.35 pregame. Catch that game right here on this very station. Nats and Phils wrapping up that two-game set. Maybe some more drama. Maybe some fireworks. Maybe some retribution. Who knows? All right, news and weather coming up. We come back. Game two, Clips and Suns. What a game it was. Stick around. WCMD. This is the Morning Rush. I just posted on uh, both of our Twitter pages a picture of me from yesterday at the Mineral County Fair hanging out with the legendary Pro Wrestling Hall of Famer Ricky Morton. The Rock and Roll Express. They had some... Wrestling at the fair last night, a championship pro wrestling. And Ricky Morton was in the main event against King Kalua. Very exciting stuff. Mineral County Fair, of course, kicking off uh, yesterday after a uh, one-year absence. I, uh, I'll actually be there tonight, as a matter of fact. Uh, not for this station, but for another one. Our sister station down the hallway here, uh, 100.1 The Wolf. I will be there representing The Wolf from 6 to 8. So uh, stop by and say what's up, because I'll be there, hanging out. Like as soon as you walk in the main gate, like our tent is like, right there. Uh, what's going on tonight, by the way, at the fair? Uh, let's see. Gates and Rides open at 6. On stage at 7 and 9, it's Highland Grass, a uh, bluegrass uh, gospel uh, band. At the grandstand, the Diamond J Rodeo. Very exciting night of bucking bulls, clowns, and barrel racing. That starts at 7 o'clock. So check it out. Mineral County Fair going on all through uh, throughout Saturday. What is the price? What is it? It's, uh, it's the 12 bucks, I think it is. Yeah, uh, one price, 12 bucks per person at the gate each night. That includes your admission, parking, all rides, and everything that goes down on the stage and the grandstand entertainment. 
If by chance you are uh, of age 62 or older, you get in for half price. So good to have uh, that kind of stuff back, right? Good to have fair season back, festival season back. I also uh, realized, noticed that the, uh, what do they have in Petersburg? Is that the, uh, the Tri-County Fair? Is that what that is? In the Petersburg area in August? You know who's going to be wrestling there? I think it's August 4th. Remember uh, Mr. USA, Tony Atlas? Remember that? Remember him? One half of one of the greatest tag team duos ever, Tony Atlas and Rocky Johnson. Of course, Rocky Johnson, father of The Rock, Dwayne Johnson. Tony Atlas will be at the Tri-County Fair uh, in August. I don't think I'll be there. All right. Uh, talk baseball last segment, the drama between the Nationals and the Phillies. Let's shift gears to the NBA. Game two last night of the Western Conference Finals in Arizona. The Clippers and the Suns, a game that went back and forth. Neither team able to pull away from the other. Suns uh, led by three at the end of one quarter, led by just one at the half, and by four heading into the fourth quarter. And it was pretty much nip and tuck down the stretch heading into the final minute of play. Payne gets into the paint, tries to get it over Zubat. Zubat's blocked it. And Paul George coming back quickly the other way for the Clippers. Crosses over into the paint, lays it up, and in. The Clippers lead it 101 to 100 with 30 seconds to go. And Monty Williams calls timeout. The call on ESPN Radio, Paul George, PG-17. Coming through in the clutch. Well, at least that time giving the Clippers their first lead since the third quarter, but the Suns came right back. Booker gets it, goes to his right, rises up, shoots it, connects, butter! It's 102-101. to 101. Devin Booker, cold-blooded Booker. So, back and forth we go again. Another shot by George, a 22-footer. Gave the Clippers the lead again, 103-102. to 102. Suns had the ball again. And again, a chance to retake the lead. Devin Booker against Beverly. Goes to his right. Good help from Kennard. Booker with a bounce. Beverly knocked it out of bounds with quick hands. It's Phoenix basketball with 9.2 seconds to go. Patrick Beverly is asking Kane Fitzgerald to take a look at this. Calls the number turn. Game clock will be reset to 9.3 and be the Clippers ball. Wow! Clippers basketball. Unbelievable. A cataclysmic turn of events for Phoenix. Catastrophic. Catastrophic, he says. (laughs) The official review gave the Clippers the ball. The review, by the way, a running theme in the final minute of the game. Clips get the ball, and they got the ball into the hands of Paul George once again. This time, he was fouled. The 85% free throw shooter goes to the line to try to make it a three-point lead for the Clips. Speaking of catastrophic. George bouncing the ball, picks it up. Free throw on the way. And he goes 0 for 2. Bridges with the rebound. And now the Suns can win it, not just tie it. He missed them both. (laughs) We talked about Ben Simmons with the Sixers. And his struggles from the foul line. That you would expect from a guy who shoots 60%. Paul George shoots 85%. And he missed them both. Giving the Suns another chance. 
it looked as if they blew that chance when Michael Bridges missed a three-pointer. The ball was deflected out of bounds. But after another review, the Suns get the ball back with .9 seconds left on the clock, and then this right here happened. Crowder looking, throws it, alley in the hole! Aiden puts it down! He puts it down! It's over! And they're trying to say goaltending, but that's a live basketball. He can finish it. Right, there is no goaltending on an inbound pass. You can catch it above the rim. Are you kidding me? Jay Crowder from out of bounds, the inbounds play, alley-oop to DeAndre Ayton, who threw it down. Again, no goaltending on a pass from out of bounds. It gave Phoenix a 104-103 lead after yet another review. The officials point they put .7 seconds back on the clock, but the Clippers couldn't even get a shot off. So the Suns dramatically hang on to win by one point and take a 2-0 series lead. So much going on in that final minute of the game. After the game, two guys on the complete opposite ends of the emotional spectrum, Aiton, the game winner, and George, who missed the two free throws that would have put L.A. up by three. First... We go with PG-17. Uh, they put me in position to extend the lead. I'm always confident at the free throw line. Um, I've always uh, been very successful in clutch moments at the free throw line. Um, uh, tonight, I was just unsuccessful. Man, even if he makes just one, that alley-oop ties the game. Just make one of the two. And he missed them both. Now we go to the, uh, the victorious... DeAndre Ayton and the play that won the game. Well, I'll start off by saying um, that's definitely Jay's game winner. Um, you know, making a great pass or a seven-footer. Um, other than that, uh, you know, Coach drew up a great play where, you know, I was in the best position. You know, my teammates trust me and my coaches trust me. And, you know, great uh, books and a great screen, you know, that freed me up in the, into the lane to at least gather my feet and go for the ball. And the rest is, you know, just – off my athleticism and my talent, you know. Jay set it up right there perfectly. So Aiton giving all the credit to Jay Crowder, the nice pass right to the rim for the throwdown with a further breakdown of that final minute, the drama, the shot, the multitude of official reviews, Scott Van Pelt with Mark Jackson and Jeff Van Gundy. And it was so unusual that the rulings, I, I don't know, it was just, it was an unusual set of circumstances, but it felt like they got things right for the most part. I wonder where you land with that. I'm in agreement with you. I understand Coach's mentality and his approach, and there's a side of me that agrees with it because it's old school refereeing. Me too. But at the end of the day, the ball was out of bounds off of Devin Booker. It's the right call to make. The frustrating thing is with no timeouts, when you go to review it, you're allowing the coaches to now design a, a play where they didn't have timeouts, they wouldn't have that luxury if, if, we don't, if we don't take a look at it. And, Jeff, I thought that was such a great point you make. Without the benefit of that time to gather the guys, you, you, you likely don't get that type of play drawn up. But the execution is what I wanted to, to focus on. The pass, from, um, the pass from Crowder, the screen from Booker, I wonder if you could just take us through what you saw, Jeff. 
Well, they ran a decoy flare for Cam Johnson, who's an outstanding shooter, to try to draw Zubats up. Then Crowder's pass barely missed the backboard. It was he threaded the needle, and the screen by Booker got just enough space for Aiton to get some momentum up to catch. And again, reiterating, there's no goaltending or basket interference on an inbounds pass so he can get over the rim and dunk it. And it was, like you said, Scott, excellent, excellent execution. That never would have been able to happen without that, um, like you guys want to say, such a great review. <laughs> I'm not saying it's a great review. I thought it was appropriate. No, no, I no, no. You guys, like, let's just stay here till midnight and, like, review every play. Why is where it you got the to last go, two man. minutes we want where, to get him where, you, where, you want to go over and get to, to, what is it, talking stick? They don't even have credit there. You can't get a marker <laughs> to play cards in that place, man. Like, get it right. It's too important not to get it right. But if just as far as the game goes, and, and Jeff, I agree, had the Clippers won, they would have stolen it. But that happens this time of the year. If you put yourself in Ty Lue's shoes right now, and your guys lost the way they lost, but you have come out of these two holes already twice, how do you, in that room, sort of sell your guys on, we can be okay here, Jeff? I start with you. Well, I think just the way the game ended. I mean, if Paul George makes the two free throws, the game is uh, probably ends differently. He sure. didn't. They didn't win, but they've been through this. The only difference is Phoenix, at some point, is going to get a great, great player back. Sure. And so I think what you try to do with Ty Lue is you're just going to focus in on game three. You can win that game, and then you're right back in the series. And, Mark, just to, to that point, you get back someone in, in Chris Paul who's not just someone. He's an exceptional talent. And I think you see how much he means to the group. You know, they're FaceTiming in there. We got two without you. How much does that, does his presence and his talent change what Phoenix is? Well, his leadership. They yeah. understand, you know, these situations where the Clippers put together a run, they get a stop, Phoenix turns over the basketball. You minimize those opportunities when you bring a future Hall of Famer and an all-time great point guard back into the equation in Chris Paul. And if I'm Monty Williams, I'm selling to my team. This is a team that's been down 2-0 before. They know how to handle adversity, but we're a different animal. Let's not take this for granted, and let's step on them. So the series now shifts to L.A. for Games 3 and 4, Game 3 tomorrow, Game 4 on Saturday. As you heard the guys mention, Clippers find themselves in a very familiar spot, down 0-2 in a series for the third time uh, this postseason after last night's game, here's head coach Ty Lue. I mean, we let one get away. You know, that's how we felt. But the confidence, I mean, the confidence of his team hasn't wavered. You know, guys just said, all right, we got to go home now. And um, they, was, they was in good spirits. So, you know, like I said, we fought hard. We played, played, you know, good enough to win this game. You know, unfortunately it happens. And uh, we just got to move on, get ready for game three. And uh, one final thing, ESPN's Tim Legler says that the Ty Lue needs to use the recent history as motivation for his team to get back into the series. They've done it twice already. Why not a third time? Yeah, it's tough. Look, he's just going to tell them, we did enough tonight to win the game, particularly just being is persevering. They didn't have a great offensive night. Neither team really did. But they persevered. They gave themselves a chance to win. That's what you've got to preach. I know Chris Paul's coming back. They can't control that. Chris Paul's going to obviously give them an element. Phoenix not turning the ball over, running the offense. He could score when needed. Uh, the Clippers just have to look at it like we've been in this road twice. They've come back from 2-0 deficits two times. Now, I personally think this is a different team you're playing here because they're complete on both ends of the floor. They're not going to beat themselves. 
Clippers, this might be too deep for hole to come back from, but the fact that you could draw a past experience, I think that's going to bode well for them, and particularly just looking at the end of this game and letting them know we let it slip through our hands. If Paul George makes those two free throws, or maybe even one of them, that's probably an overtime game, makes two, they probably win the game, feeling completely different about themselves. And that's your Tyrone Lute, that's all you can hang your hat on right now trying to keep guys heads up and let's see the impact of Chris Paul in game three obviously you want Kawhi Leonard to run through that door at any time <laughs> also if you're the Clippers but we know we're going to see Chris Paul we're still not sure about Kawhi Leonard so again game three is tomorrow in LA Clippers they got to win both if they lose one of those two in LA the series is over with or without Chris Paul for the Suns uh, last night's game two not the only thing going on in the NBA as we found out the order of this coming uh, NBA draft, this year's NBA draft. We'll let you know who got the top overall pick after this. Stick around. 102.1 FM, AM 1230, WCMD. This is the Morning Rush. Just got done talking about that incredible uh, game two last night in the Western Conference Finals between the Clippers and Suns, uh, won by the Suns by a single point, 104-103 on a dunk with .7 seconds left. That was not the only thing going down in the NBA last night as we found out who would have the top overall pick in this year's uh, NBA draft. The second pick will be made by... The Houston Rockets, and that means that the number one pick in the 2021 NBA Draft goes to the Detroit Pistons. The Detroit Pistons, apparently uh, one guy uh, very excited in the background there. (laughs) The Detroit Pistons. Somebody very excited. They have the top overall pick. Get this. It is the first time that Detroit will pick first overall since they drafted Hall of Fame center Bob Lanier back in 1970. Houston will have the second pick, followed by Cleveland and Toronto. Rest of the top ten includes Orlando, Oklahoma City, Golden State, which has a Minnesota selection, Orlando again, which has a Chicago selection, Sacramento, and New Orleans. So the Magic, uh, they have two picks in the top. What is that? Uh, four, five, six, eight. <laughs> two picks in the top eight for Orlando. So now that we know that Detroit has a top overall pick, the next question is, well, who are they going to take? A lot of very big names to choose from. How about you, uh, Jay Billis? Who do you have the Pistons take? I still think it's Cade Cunningham. Uh, He's the most complete player in the draft at both ends of the floor. He's an outstanding passer. He's got great poise with the ball. He can shoot it at three-level score, as we mentioned before. He's also an underrated defender that's a fantastic rebounder for his position. With his size and length and all of his skill set, I think Cade Cunningham is the best prospect in this draft. Uh, You Mountaineer fans remember Cade Cunningham. Uh, superstar guard from Oklahoma State. He is projected to be uh, the number one pick to go to uh, the Pistons. And Adrian Wojnarowski said last night that the plan for Cunningham will be to visit only one team before the draft, and that would be the Pistons. 
However, uh, Cunningham, not the only big name on the draft board. Uh, Jay Williams likes another guy. I love Jalen Suggs, though. I mean, 6'4". Yeah. I've heard a lot of NBA scouts use a name like Jason Kidd likes styles in which he plays. He's a headstrong player that can get to where he wants to go on the court at any time. A gifted scorer brings defensive tenacity, but also he controls the pace of the game, Woj. Like he has an NBA-type basketball IQ, and that's going to be special at the next level. There's a very good chance, very good chance, I, I wouldn't bet the house, but I would bet a couple bedrooms, that Cunningham and Suggs, they go one and two in this year's draft that Detroit will take Cunningham and then Orlando with their first of two picks in the top eight will take uh, Jalen Suggs out of Gonzaga. Again, wouldn't bet the house, but I it, it wouldn't be surprising at all. Uh, after the Pelicans pick, by the way, you have a Charlotte at number 11, then San Antonio, Indiana, and Golden State with its own pick, its own first-round pick. So you have the Magic and the Warriors, each with two picks in the lottery. So there you go. And if you got Golden State, you still have Steph Curry, right? You hope you hopefully get Klay Thompson back. And now you got two picks in the lottery this year. You talk about being able to bounce back in a hurry. Look look out for Golden State, and they were what they were in the the playing round this year, right? So. They can really be a factor uh, next year. All right. Uh, Hour number one in the books. When we come back, we'll rock around the region. Again, get you caught up on what happened uh, yesterday and last night around the region. We'll get back into the discussion, uh, the Supreme Court decision against the NCAA about the whole educational benefits. And one word that I heard mentioned yesterday. And we'll play a clip from Ed O'Bannon, if you remember him, who used the word exploited. I read a column yesterday from somebody who put two student athletes through college and said that the last word that you should ever use when it comes to student athletes is exploited. All that and more coming up in hour number two. Stick around. 102.1 FM, AM 1230, WCMD. This is the Morning Rush. And we talked about the drama between the Phillies and the Nationals, Joe Girardi and Max Scherzer. And we'll get to that in just a second as we once again rock around the region. I want to rock right now. And we start with Major League Baseball, where the Pirates put together a late rally against the White Sox. And a swing and a soft. Grounder throw into left base hit. Here comes Evans to score. Newman to the plate. He'll score. Throw goes back to second. Gonzalez safe there. Two are in off the bat of Eric Gonzalez, and the Pirates lead it 5-3. to three. Joe blocked the call on the Pirates radio network. Four runs in the seventh inning as the Bucks beat the White Sox 6-3 at PNC Park. Adam Frazier hit a solo home run. Brian Reynolds, an RBI single for the Pirates, who have won three of four after uh, that 10-game losing streak. Chicago's losing streak now up to a five games. Tyler Anderson pitched very, very well for Pittsburgh. Uh, just made one big mistake, and that was to 
A pinch hitter, Yasmani Grandal, hit a three-run homer in the top of the seventh that gave Chicago a 3-2 lead, and that was when the Pirates came back and scored four in the bottom half of the inning. Elsewhere, Zach Granke allowed just one run and five hits over seven and a third innings as the Astros won their ninth straight game, uh, beating the Orioles 3-1 at Camden. Jorge Lopez pitched very well for the O's, giving up just two runs and five hits over six and a third. Ryan Mountcastle had two hits for Baltimore, which has lost 12 of 13, and uh, they possess the worst record. In the American League. And in Philadelphia, Jan Gomes had a pair of RBI singles to lead the Nationals over the Phillies 3-2. Max Scherzer, very sharp in his return from the injured list, gave up one run on two hits and struck out eight in five innings. Now, the drama behind that game is that he was checked by umpires three times for foreign substances. The first two times were kind of expected. Major League Baseball has told pitchers to expect to be inspected twice. The third time was at the request of Philadelphia manager Joe Girardi, which did not make Scherzer happy at all. When the umpires came out to check Scherzer, he chucked his hat and glove to the ground, undid his belt like he was going to drop his pants right then and there, and just threw his hands up. Like, what? It was right in the middle of a game. And he's looking at the dugout. He's chirping at the Phillies' dugout. Nationals coaches are yelling over. Girardi comes to the top of the steps like he was going to do something. It was an absolute mess. Then after Scherzer got pulled by Martinez after five, he's walking off the field. He's still jawboning with the Phillies, right? The coaches are still going at it. Girardi comes out. He gets ejected for the 40th time in his career. It was an absolute mess. So Girardi was asked after the game why he requested that Scherzer get inspected again. I've seen Max a long time, since 2010. Um, Obviously, he's going to be a Hall of Famer. Um, But I've never seen him wipe his head like he was doing tonight, ever. Um, Going like this, right? So... It was suspicious for me. He did it about four or five times. Um, it was suspicious. I didn't mean to offend anyone. I just got to do what's right for our club. Scherzer says that he kept on running his fingers through his hair because, you know, what else is he supposed to do? The only part that was really sweaty enough on me to be able to grab any type of moisture was on my hair. Um, it wasn't a warm night's night, so the back of my neck really wasn't that sweaty uh, when I tried to get there. Um, and so for me, the only part, the only body part that actually had enough sweat on it was my hair. So, um, you know, that's fortunate tonight, but I mean, this is going to be dangerous when, you know, you're in a cold game and you have no sweat. Uh, What will we do then? So basically with major league baseball cracking down on the sticky substances, pitchers have to find a way now to get a better grip on the baseball. Scherzer said that he was tired of licking his fingers and tasting the rosin, right? Because that's what pitchers do. You're allowed to lick your fingers to get a better grip on the ball. But that gets old after a while. He says he goes to the back of his head, get a little sweat, but it wasn't particularly warm last night. So then he went to the hair to, you know, again, get that moisture to get a better grip. Girardi, who probably should know better because he's been around the game long enough, 
thought it was suspicious. Girardi should know. He should know why Scherzer was going to his hair like, oh, I never saw him do it before. Well, he kind of has to now, (laughs) doesn't he? He's got to find a way to get a better grip. Because if he doesn't, there, Joe, he's going to lose a fastball and it's going to take out somebody's head. And then what? So a whole lot of drama. Even Davey Martinez got into it. He was PO'd because he thought, hey, the umpires already checked Scherzer twice. I thought the umpires did a good job with it. I really did. I mean, uh, you know, it's it's part of the game now. And uh, they did that due diligence. So uh, as far as uh, Joe's concerned, I think he's got to answer the tough questions about that. You know, I don't need to answer that. So now we see what happens today, the second game of that two-game series uh, in Philly. This afternoon, as a matter of fact, catch the game right here. Maybe some more drama, some more fireworks, uh, pregame beginning at 12.35. In high school softball yesterday, the West Virginia State Tournament got underway in Charleston in AAA Washington Lost its opener to Cabell Midland 1-0, but avoided elimination with a 6-4 win over John Marshall. Now the Patriots will take on St. Albans in another elimination game today. Whoever wins that game will then have to beat Cabell Midland twice to win the state championship. In Class A, Morgan Christian hit a three-run homer in the top of the seventh, and Wahama beat Petersburg 6-5 in the Vikings opener. Petersburg then left the bases loaded, ouch, in the bottom of the seventh. Petersburg did stay alive with an 11-5 win over Midland Trail. Jenna Burgess had a homer and RBI double for the Vikes, who will face Ritchie County this morning, 9-30, in a winner-go-home game. Winner then moves on to face undefeated Wahama in the title round. In other softball news, Kaiser's Alexis Shoemaker, congratulations to her. Uh, she was named Potomac Valley Conference Player of the Year. And Kaiser's Chris Shoemaker was named PVC Coach of the Year. The Golden Tornado were uh, this year's PVC champions. On the baseball side, Frankfurt's Brady Whitaker was named a Conference Player of the Year. And Hampshire's Chad Van Meter is PVC Coach of the Year after leading the Trojans to the PVC title. And that is... Your Rock Around the Region, brought to you by the Caporelli Group. All right, so let's get back into this thing. We talked about it yesterday uh, for a while, and that was the uh, Supreme Court's decision to pretty much put the kibosh on the NCAA's control over what schools could give student-athletes as far as educational stuff goes, okay? And we discussed it yesterday. I don't think it was something the NCAA expected because the Supreme Court voted 9-0 unanimously to say that the NCAA could no longer fix the price of labor for college athletes as long as the benefits in question are related to their education. The NCAA always try to put a cap on that. That you can give the student-athletes some things for education, but not everything. Supreme Court says, nah, that's going to change. So now it's wide open. And we talked about this yesterday. Took a couple phone calls. You can call in as well, 301-759-2628, on how 
This is the latest domino to fall as we head towards student-athletes getting paid in college. It's only a matter of time. Because now you have the name, image, and likeness thing that's going to happen where players can make money off of that. And now you have no cap on what schools can give players. So I kind of used the example yesterday that a school can't give a player a thousand bucks, but they can spend a thousand bucks on a laptop to give to a player for educational purposes. And that's what we're going to see. As long as the schools can prove that what these student athletes receive is for education, NCA can't do anything about it. And the NCA has been doing this for, for decades now, keeping that cap on what the players can receive. And yesterday, uh, Paul Feinbaum, Mr. SEC, Mr. College Football, was on with uh, Mike Greenberg, and Paul says that the NCAA looks really, really bad right about now. The NCAA for so long has been so arrogant. They've been hanging their hat on some language in a, in a Supreme Court ruling from the mid-'80s that involved television, uh, and they, they've been you know, poppycocking and peacocking the, the sanctity of amateurism, and they got shattered yesterday. And I won't go through the ruling because it was really a very narrow case. It wasn't about, it wasn't about the normal things that we talk about, but Mark Emmert and his people in, in Indianapolis said, you know what, we're going to push this up the mountain. And they walked into a bar, and, and Conor McGregor just threw them right out. <laughs> Interesting uh, analogy right there. Now, again, this does not mean that schools can just pay athletes whatever. You still can't give them money. Boosters can't give them money. You can't do that. You can't, you know, you can't give them keys to a nice car. You can't buy them a house. That stuff is still illegal. But any payment, any compensation, any products that are given to a player, as long as it's related to their education, there's there's no limit to it. None at all. And again, this is just another step paving the way to players actually getting paid. Ed O'Bannon, if you remember him, Ed played for UCLA basketball way back in the day. He was part of the 1995 uh, the national title team, right, for UCLA. He was one of the first student athletes to kind of come out against the NCAA. And he was actually the main figure in a lawsuit. It was, it was an antitrust class action lawsuit O'Bannon versus NCA. He was the one that spearheaded the movement that resulted in no more NCAA video games, right? Because he argued that the NCAA, these video game companies, were making money off of the players by using, I don't know, did they use their, their name? They definitely used their jersey number. And O'Bannon was like, that's bull. You can't do that. He filed the lawsuit, and that's why we no longer have Although I do believe those games are coming back now, right? That's why we haven't had for years no NCAA football. Remember EA Sports, NCAA football. was a great game. Hasn't been around for a while because of stuff like that. And here is Ed O'Bannon's response to what happened with the Supreme Court decision. You know, it, it starts small. There, there are little things, little victories uh, along the way that you, that you get, you know. Uh, and, and now that uh, the Supreme Court 
uh, has uh, rendered their verdict. The, the floodgates are open, uh, and and uh, the athletes uh, will be compensated, uh, not necessarily, uh, and, and it was never really about money, but just uh, stop being exploited. And there is a word that we hear thrown around a lot when we're talking about this situation, exploited. The student-athletes have been exploited by the NCAA and the colleges, the universities. And I've always kind of went against that. I don't necessarily think they're being, first of all, they know what they're getting into. All right. You you know, if you're a student athlete and you go to a big Division One football program or a basketball program, you know. You know what it's all about. It's not a secret. You know how much money these schools and universities, you know how much they make off of these games. You know. You know you're getting a scholarship. You know you're getting a free. It's, it's not a secret. So I, I always hesitate to use the word exploit or exploit or exploitation because you know what you're getting into when you get into it. Then I read a column yesterday by Paul Zeiss in the uh, Pittsburgh Post-Gazette. Uh, Z, he writes a column for the PG. He also hosts uh, the evenings on 93.7 FN in Pittsburgh. And Zeiss was going on about the Supreme Court's decision. And he said it might not eventually be a good thing for the NCAA. And he, he says, first off, can we stop with the whole poor or poor exploited athletes who don't get a thing from the NCAA? He says, can we stop with that? And he gives an example why. Well, first of all, he says it's 100% false. He says, Division I athletes are not exploited. And this is a quote from his column here. And the idea they aren't compensated for what they do is silly. And this is where Paul gets into his own experiences. He, he had not one, but two of his children who were Division I athletes. He says one has two degrees, and through the connections he made while playing college football, his, his son played at Pitt, he landed an excellent job, right? His other child, his daughter, is about a month from finishing her master's degree. And will likely, like the son, will turn a connection through, you know, what a connection she made while playing into an excellent job. Paul says this, neither, neither of them paid a dime for their education, housing or food for four years. Both got a monthly stipend cost of attendance check. They had access to tutors, academic advisors, life skills coaches, nutritionists, doctors, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. They got to travel to places they would never have gotten the chance to see. And then Paul says, if that is being exploited, I want to be exploited someday too. And he goes on to estimate that the total package, everything included, for the education of his two children, one son, one daughter, was worth somewhere in the neighborhood of $600,000. And he says, that's not free. So here's a guy who 
And I agree 100%, by the way, which is why I, I hesitate to use the word exploited. He just gives you two examples of his own children going to play Division I sports. Each one of them, two degrees, each one of them getting pretty good jobs coming out of school because of the context they made while playing. And he gave the list. He gave the list of all the things, right? Not a dime for their education. Housing, food, monthly stipend cost of attendance check, tutors, academic advisors, life skill coaches. Look, I went to college. I wasn't an athlete. I didn't see none of that. Most students on a college campus don't see any of that. So when people want to say, oh, the poor exploited athletes, that's that's garbage. Now, not all student athletes get what his two kids got. We're talking about Division I athletes here. I understand it's different. It's different at the different, you know, Division I schools. It's definitely different from D1 to D2 to D3. Don't get me wrong. D3, you can't, there are no scholarships at, D, at the D3 level. So it's definitely different. There's definitely a, a pecking order. But what he's saying is he values his kids' education and what they got at 600 grand. And you know how much he had to pay out of that? Nothing. Zero. So this concept that these athletes are exploited is garbage. And then Z goes on to say, you know, hey, we can argue about how much compensation is fair. That's another discussion for another day. And the one thing that he says he hopes is that the ruling by the Supreme Court doesn't open the floodgates to turn college athletics into basically the highest bidders get the best players. And it's not just a competitive balance thing, but it's the rich get richer and the poor get nothing. It's the big Division I programs get everything and the little D3 programs get nothing. Well, even the smaller D1 programs, you know, they don't have the big TV contracts, right? They don't have all that money coming in from the Big 12 network, the ACC network, right? Uh, all the you know, ESPN, ABC, CBS, Fox. You know, they don't have that money. And Paul used the example of the University of Hartford, which I do believe they just, didn't they just appear in their very first NCAA tournament this past year? The university announced that it is going to move from Division I athletics to Division Three. It's a pretty steep drop going from one to three. Now, the university said that it better aligns with the university's uh, mission and goals of academics and blah, 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 blah. But we all know why they're making a move, and it's, it's because of money. A recent study has shown that the University of Hartford, by dropping from D1 to D3 athletics, will save around $10 bucks a year. Because, again, there are no scholarships at D3, which means they don't have to kick out money out which means there are now going to be more student-athletes who have one less opportunity, a, a free education. So it's it's really, it's a great column by Paul Zeiss. Check it out. Again, uh, the Pittsburgh Post-Gazette. I think it came out yesterday. And one final point from his column is, 
He says the overwhelming majority of the 350 or so D1 schools that aren't Duke, that aren't Alabama, that aren't Notre Dame, the majority of, of players aren't Trevor Lawrence. They aren't Zion Williamson. Most schools have small budgets, and they're trying to squeeze as much as they can out of what little they have. And this whole thing about paying athletes could backfire. Because that's going to put more of a strain, more of a struggle on these smaller schools and these smaller programs. You hope it doesn't get to that, but it very well could. So I just, I thought the column was great because Paul used the example of his two kids. And when I heard Ed O'Bannon use the word exploited, that's just the wrong word to use. Because these athletes at the big program, they're not, they're not. Again, you want to say that they should be paid? Fine. We can argue that. That's another discussion for another day. But to say that they're exploited, that they're getting nothing out of this deal, that is false. It's 100% false. And Paul made the list. Scholarships, education, housing, food, a stipend, cost of attendance check, availability, the resources, the tutors, the doctors. Look, normal, regular students, for lack of better words, don't get any of that. You want to argue players should be paid? That's fine. But you want to say they're exploited and don't get anything? That's bunk. Keep that. Take that argument, okay, stuff it in a drawer, close the drawer, and never bring it out again because it's simply not true. It's not true. If you receive money, or I take that back, if you receive a scholarship, whether it be a full scholarship, half scholarship, a $5,000 scholarship, you're getting something out of the deal. You're getting something. Again, it may pale in comparison to what the schools are making, It may pale in comparison to what the universities are making, the programs are making. I understand that. And again, that's where the argument about paying players comes in. I I get that. But when you use the word exploited, no. It's it's just not true. Because they're getting something out of the deal. And it's more than most students get, for sure. All right. uh, Time for a break. News and weather coming up. And be back with more after this. Stick around. 102.1 FM, AM 1230, WCMD. This is the Morning Rush. I just retweeted it uh, on our Twitter page. Is it mine? Where I, where I, when you have two pages, it, gets, it was mine. At Rush Tony C. We talked earlier about Max Scherzer as he was being checked by umpires for a third time uh, during the game last night against the Phillies. Umpires go to the mound. Scherzer tosses his cap to the ground, his glove, and goes to his belt like he was going to, you know, drop his pants right there on the mound. Just saw this video. <laughs> Oakland's uh, Sergio, or Sergio Romo. Oh, my goodness. Can you say that in a Eastern PA accent? Sergio Romo. <laughs> he took it one step further. He actually dropped his pants. As he's walking off the field, off the mound, 
towards the dugout. He is getting approached by an umpire, I assume for an inspection. He chucks his glove, chucks his hat, takes his belt completely off, and throws it at the feet of the umpire, and he drops his pants down to around his knees. That's incredible. Again, I just I just retweeted it on my page, at Rush Tony C. That's the letter C, not the word C. Get used to it. This is what we're going to see. Pitchers, you can say what you want about them using the sticky stuff, right? You can say they were cheating, they were breaking a rule, and they were. They were breaking the rules because the rules clearly state you can't doctor a baseball. Whether you you know you scuff it with a nail file or uh, pitchers used to sharpen the uh, what do you call it the metal the eyelet the ringlet whatever it is that you lace your glove you know through some pitchers would actually sharpen one of those little metal things and scuff a baseball you can't use substances you can't use foreign substances. So if these pitchers are using sticky stuff, it's breaking the rules. Now, Major League Baseball knew about it and let it go. So it's partially their fault. But Major League Baseball decides they want to change the rules two and a half months into the season and force pitchers. I'm sorry, they didn't change the rule. They decided to enforce the rule two and a half months into the season. So now you have pitchers getting frustrated. And we talked about the drama last night between the Nats and the Phils, and here you have Sergio Romo dropping trial <laughs> because he's already frustrated with having to get frisked TSA style on a baseball diamond. Leave it, leave it to baseball. I mean, seriously. There are several reasons we've talked about on the show why baseball struggles to compete with the NFL and the NBA, even the NHL to an extent. Leave it to baseball. It seems like everything that they do, they just screw up, right? It seems like everything the NFL touches turns to gold. Everything MLB touches turns to mud. This is going to get ugly before it gets better, I think. You're going to have pitchers just get more and more frustrated. And it's not the umpire's fault. You kind of feel bad for them. They just do what they're told. Right? They're just they're just carrying out the orders by the almighty Rob Manfred, the genius commissioner of Major League Baseball. I uh, can't wait for the day when a pitcher just strips head to toe. Right? Hopefully not all the way. That would be a little bit, you know, uh, sketchy. But it's going to come to a point a pitcher's just going to take his jersey off, he's going to take his pants off, take his cleats off, and just be sitting there in a jock. Like, here you go. Inspect away. And you know what? Major League Baseball deserves every single bit of it. All the, any backlash they get, any criticism, anything like Sergio Romo, they deserve all of it because they couldn't have handled this any worse than they did, which is what, you know, that's how they operate. Uh, last night on the ice, there was one game as we switched to a better sport, uh, definitely a better playoff anyway, better postseason. Stanley Cup playoffs. The Canadiens and the Golden Knights in Vegas. A pivotal Game 5 series tied at two games apiece. As we always remind you, every time we talk about it, the winner of a Game 5 in the series is tied 2-2. Goes on to win the series nearly 80% of the time. So, 
Who uh, took that advantage last night? Suzuki headmans to Toffoli. Gets it back. Left wing, Nick Suzuki. Into the corner. Stops. His pass. A good one. There's a chance. They score. And it's Eric Stahl off the bench. He drills it home. And it's 2-0 Montreal. Breakaway. Corey Perry trying to get some speed. Caulfield shoots and scores. Perry to Caulfield. 3-0 Montreal. That was not edited very well, was it? That wasn't me, by the way. Uh, the calls, for whatever they were worth, on TSN 690, Montreal wins the game 4-1 to to take a three-games-to-two lead over the Golden Knights. A shocker, I would say. No team has been to the Stanley Cup Final more than Montreal. They, they've been to the Cup Finals 34 times. They are now one win away from number 35. And their first appearance in the cup final in 28 years. Carey Price, 26 saves. The Habs, Les Habitants, one win away. I'm kind of shocked. I thought the Golden Knights, again, after they won the first game 4-1, to one, I thought they were cruising this series. I thought Vegas was a much better team. But the Canadiens showing their grit, showing their stuff. They are now 7-2 on the road this postseason. That ties the franchise record for most road wins in one playoff year. Game 6 switches back to Montreal. Uh, That's tomorrow, right? Yes. We have a Game 6 tonight on the island. The Islanders are trying to stay alive. They trail the Lightning three games to two. So if Lightning win tonight, they will punch their ticket to their second straight Stanley Cup final. They are, of course, the defending Stanley Cup champs. If the Islanders win tonight, that forces a, of course, we have pivotal Game 5s and decisive Game 7s back in Tampa Bay. Also going on tonight, back to the NBA, Game 1 of the Eastern Conference Finals. We talked uh, earlier in the show about Game 2 of the West Finals last night. Great game, won by the Suns on the last shot of the game, 104-103. Tonight, it's the Hawks and the Bucks, game one in Milwaukee. The Bucks right now, a seven-and-a-half-point fave. And whoever comes out of this series is going to end a really long drought. All right? The Bucks, they only won one NBA title, and that was way back in 1971. Last time they've been to the NBA Finals, 1974. I was three. So, do the math, that's 47 years ago. The Hawks won their only championship in 1958. They lost in the finals after that in 57, 60, and 61. That was when they were still in St. Louis. (laughs) So, according to this story here, the Hawks haven't been to the NBA Finals since they moved to Atlanta. Again. One of these teams, and they're going to buck the trend, no pun intended. Hawks, of course, uh, they are led by Trey Young. Uh, He is averaging 29.1 points a game in his very first postseason. His head coach, uh, Nate McMillan, talked about the Young Young and his leadership with uh, Atlanta. He's one of these special players. Uh, You know, this time of the season when you need a player that can create uh, his own offense and uh, win his matchups. Uh, you need that type of player this time 
in the season. And Trey is showing that uh, he's capable of, of doing that. And, you know, he just continues to uh, put uh, and keep pressure on the, uh, the defense at all times uh, that he's out on the floor. This is Atlanta's first trip to the Eastern Conference Final since 2015. The head coach back then was Mike Budenholzer. He coached the Hawks uh, from 2013 to 2018. Well, guess who's the head coach now of Milwaukee? Mike Budenholzer. So (laughs) how about that for coming full circle? And uh, Budenholzer says that whenever you get this far, whenever you get to the Final Four, there's a whole lot of respect to go around. The respect level is very high. Um, The appreciation for what it takes to, to make it and advance in the playoffs um, you know, the talent, the individual talent, the collective talent, they're very, very good. And so, you know, I think the focus and the edge and the mental approach um, you know, has to be high level. And uh, that's what we expect going into the first game. Again, the game is in Milwaukee. The Bucks 5-0 and at home this postseason. They're the only undefeated team at home in the playoffs. They're 5-0 at home, 11-2 overall. That doesn't make any sense. Wait a minute. This is, all right, I, I got to read this over again. You got to excuse me. I'm doing this on the fly here. Of the 16 teams that reached the postseason, the Bucs have gone undefeated at home during the playoffs. They own a 5-0 home playoff record this year. Okay, all right. Now, okay, now I get it. Now I get it. Because they play at the uh, the Fiserv Forum. They're 5-0 this year. Overall at the Forum, they're 11-2. All right, now uh, that makes more sense. The Hawks, however, they're five and two on the road this postseason. They uh, took two out of three from the Knicks at MSG, and they took three out of four from the Sixers in Philly. Regular season, Bucks beat the Hawks two out of three. They won the only game in Milwaukee, and they split two meetings in Atlanta. So there you go. Game number one: Bucks Hawks tonight, East Finals. In Milwaukee, and of course, we'll talk about that game tomorrow. And we'll talk about the Lightning Islanders game tomorrow. Can the Lightning close it out and get back to the Cup Finals for the second straight year? All right, one final break, and then back to wrap up today's show. Stick around. 102.1 FM, AM 1230, WCMD. This is the Morning Rush. Before we get out of here, uh, let's do what we always do. I, well, I shouldn't say always, but most of the time. Let's check out the player who delivered, brought to you by All Seasons Landscaping and Supply Yard. This is an absolute no-brainer. It's the Phoenix Suns' DeAndre Ayton. Crowder looking, throws it, alley in the hole! Ayton puts it down! He puts it down! And they're trying to say goaltending, but that's a live basketball. He can finish it. Right. There is no goaltending on an inbound pass. You can catch it above the rim. The call on ESPN Radio, Aiton's dunk off an inbounds pass with .9 seconds left. Gave Phoenix a 104-103 win over the L.A. Clippers and a 2-0 series lead in the Western Conference Finals. Actually, I should make it a uh, like a co-player because Jay Crowder threw the pass, the inbounds pass. It was perfect. 
and Aiton caught it and threw it down. So I maybe I'll give I'll split it. Phoenix's Jay Crowder and DeAndre Aiton are players who delivered. Uh, brought to you by All Seasons Landscaping and Supply Yard. Uh, did you catch the debut uh, last night of Tampa Bay's uh, Wander? Is it Franco or Franco? I, I never know. I have I've yet to hear his name pronounced. Because you have Michael Franco for the Orioles. Back in the day, we had Julio Franco. So I'm not quite sure. Anyway, Tampa Bay calls this kid up yesterday from AAA uh, dorm, right? He is the number one overall prospect in all of Major League Baseball. Plays one game last night. (laughs) Starts at third. He's 20 years old. He walked in his first plate appearance. And his next appearance, his very first Major League hit, is a three-run bomb that tied the game against the Red Sox. He also doubled. So here's Now look, Tampa Bay, they're struggling. They lost the game 9-5 in 11 innings. But they called this kid up in his very first Major League start. Walk, double, homer, three RBI. That's amazing. That's amazing. Now look, it's only one game. Okay, but when you have the hype that this kid has had, the number one ranked prospect in all of baseball, and he makes that kind of debut, he he ain't getting set back down. Unless he, you know, unless he starts to scuffle, struggle again, it's one game. But if he's as good as advertised, and last night should lead us to no other conclusion that he is as good as advertised, he's not going anywhere. And he's only 20, which is amazing. I can't remember what I was doing at 20 years old. I was in college. I just can't remember what I was doing. <laughs> I certainly wasn't hitting doubles and dingers and uh, making a, a major league debut for sure. All right, reminder, uh, tonight, I'm sorry, this afternoon, Nats and Phil's game two of their two-game set in Philadelphia. Uh, catch the game right here on this very station. Pre-game at 12.35. We'll see if there's any more umpire inspection drama between those two teams. And a reminder, night number two of the Mineral County Fair. Going down at the fairgrounds in Fort Ashby this evening. Uh, gates and rides open at 6. Tonight, uh, for your entertainment, on the stage at 7 and 9 o'clock, the uh, Bluegrass Gospel Band Highland Grass will be performing at the grandstand, the very popular fan favorite, Diamond J Rodeo, Bucking Bulls, Clowns, Barrel Racing. It's all right there, 7 o'clock. Uh, it's one price, 12 bucks gets you in. That's admission, parking, all the rides, and all the entertainment at the stage and grandstand. If you are uh, 62 years of age or older, you get in for half price. And a reminder, uh, I'll be there tonight. Now, not for this station, not for the show, but for our sister station down the hall, uh, 100.1 The Wolf. Uh, I'll be there to represent that station. So if you're at the fair tonight, I'll be there from 6 to 8. Uh, stop by and say hey, because I'll be hanging out for a couple hours right there at the uh, the main gate, which, again, uh, it's 12 bucks a person. So Mineral County, good to have the fairs and the festivals back, right? All of them were called off and canceled last year because of the pandemic. It was. I was up there yesterday too. I met. I told you I met Ricky Morton from the Rock and Roll Express. They had wrestling here last night. I was there yesterday for a bit, and it was just good to see P 
people just walking around, enjoying the fair, just getting back, getting back to normal. I saw a couple masks here and there, but not a whole lot. It was just one of those things that, well, it just kind of felt right. You know what I mean? So if you're not doing anything tonight, hey, listen to the Nationals game in the afternoon. Then tonight, head out to the fair and uh, say hey to your boy, uh, Tony C. All right, thanks for listening. Enjoy the rest of your day. See you back here tomorrow morning, 6 a.m. sharp. This is The Morning Rush. I am Tony C. And I am Den. Ah, I'm Den? I'm done. For real. Bye.